Father, thank you for washing us as white as snow. Blessed be your holy name. Thank you, Lord, for giving your life's blood on Calvary. Help us never to get to the place where we think of your blood as a light thing, a light matter, to be tread upon, Lord, to your grace to be presumed upon. We thank you, Lord, for the great sacrifice that you paid for us. And we praise you and we glorify your name. We ask that you would bless this service as we've come together to worship you this morning. Move among us, we pray. In Jesus' precious holy name we ask. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Trust you're ready to worship the Lord this morning. That's a good way to start our service. The Lord's put a, put a message upon my heart about being whiter than snow. Thank the Lord that we can be whiter than snow. And uh, you, you best just mind the Lord and move right along in the service before I get up here and start preaching before we get time to. <laughs> Lord bless our sister as she comes and leads us in worship. Well, it's good to be in church this morning, but I was thinking not only in church, but at church where holiness is preached, holiness is lived. There's so many places where we couldn't find that, but I've just, uh, last night I was reading uh, in a devotional book from Tozer, and he was speaking about the holiness of God, and I wanted to read you a couple sentences that I copied down. He said, God is holy and has made holiness to be the moral condition necessary to the health of his universe. Every wrathful judgment of God in the history of the world has been a holy act of preservation. And it just put a holy light on the wrath and the judgment of God. He wants a holy people. He created, his creation was holy. He wants us to be holy. And I'm just thankful for that this morning, for his holiness and his power to make and to keep us holy. I'd like to start with number 386. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Shall we stand together as we sing it? <clears throat>
you may be seated. <clears throat> and let's turn back to number 31. Love divine, all love excelling. This is the hope of him making us holy, isn't it? Speaks here in the last verse about finish, then thy new creation, pure and spotless let us be. Let us see thy great salvation perfectly restored in thee. He wants to make us perfect, doesn't he? And keep us that way. 31. <clears throat> Oh, 
Thank you for your good singing. <clears throat> Praise the Lord for his love to a lost world. Thank the Lord for his love toward me and you. Praise his name. Praise his name. Well, I think if you got water down in your well, it's going to get it primed to bubble. You got any bubble over this morning? <laughs> yes. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Good. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. We see His handiwork all through our life. If you look for it, you got to have eyes to see it, though. Just like the one first song we sang, many times the sinful eyes of the world are blinded from seeing the Lord and seeing what He can do. But the Lord is there the whole time through. Praise His name. Amen. Anyone else with a praise on your heart? Thank the Lord. Praise His name. Good. Anyone else? The psalm said that when we get there to heaven, we'll be lost in His wonder, love, and grace. Amen. I'm thankful that we get to feel that some now. Yes. Oh, what a day that will be. I thank God for making a way whereby we can serve Him. Praise the Lord. Praise His name. Good. Anyone else? Amen. Thank the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank the Lord. Anyone else? Amen. That's good. Praise the Lord.
Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Reminds me of that song, I've come too far to turn back now. Thank the Lord. Amen. Another song, that's one of the old ones, I guess. I, I'm not real familiar with it, but I heard a gentleman sing it once and said, uh, I've got no reason to quit, but 1,000 reasons why I must go on. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Anyone else? All right. Well, let's prepare our hearts to go to prayer this morning. Maybe. Well, praise the Lord. Amen. Maybe someone else has a note of praise upon your heart. Amen. I thank the Lord for His word. Oh, go ahead, brother. Amen. Thank the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'm thankful for His Word, for His voice in His Word. Amen. Thank the Lord for leading and guiding me, critiquing some things in my life this week. I want to be sensitive to His voice. Praise His name. Amen. Anyone else with a praise upon your heart? Good. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Some people look at physical needs that are big to us and they say well that's nothing big well you wait till you're in pain see how big it is <laughs> amen thank the lord he's our healer praise the lord anyone else all right if brother mike will come we'll pass the offering plate
Is that your heart's desire? You'd rather have Jesus than anything else this old world can offer? Praise the Lord. Wouldn't want to live a state of life where you're not clear with the Lord. Just can't imagine that. Been living in the clear with Jesus. I just can't imagine any other way. Wouldn't trade it for anything. Not all the money in the world's worth uh, bearing the guilt of unforgiven sins. Disobedience to the Lord. Nothing in the whole world. Thank the Lord. Amen. Well, I believe we have a special plan this morning. Come and mind the Lord. tell the story of Enoch long ago who walked with God and was not yet no one seemed to know that he had been translated that death he should not see had walked on with his Savior into eternity walking with the Lord keep trusting in his word and do not set your heart on earthly things let Jesus be your guide when evil doth be tied he will lift you far above on eagle wings when God would take Elijah from troubles here below up to himself in glory eternal rest to know he sent the weary prophet a chariot of flame and lifted him to heaven all glory to his name King walking with the Lord keep trusting in his word and do not set your heart on earthly things let Jesus be your guide when evil doth be tied he will lift you far above on equal wings God's servant Moses, obeying his command, went up to Pisgah's summit to view the promised land. The people in the valley beheld his face no more, for he had gone forever to heaven's eternal shore. Keep walking with the Lord, keep trusting in His Word, and do not set your heart on earthly. 
things. Let Jesus be your guide when evil doth be tied. He will lift you far above on eagle wings. You know how to walk somewhere? One person told me, he said, uh, what are you looking for? And I said, told him, so trying to find out how to get here. And he said, oh, that's it, within walking distance. He said, it is. And he said, yeah, depending on how much time you got. <laughs> but how you get there is one step at a time. Amen. That's how you make it to heaven, one step at a time, day by day, moment by moment, just walking in obedience to the Lord. Thank the Lord. Appreciated that song. Praise the Lord. Amen. All hearts clear this morning. All right. I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn to Titus, the book of Titus, chapter 2. We'll begin to read at verse number 11. I'll read through the remainder of the chapter. We'll stand for the reading of the word and for prayer afterwards. Titus chapter 2, 11 through 15. It's a blessing to be in the Lord's house this morning. Be with each one of you. It's a blessing. To feel the Lord's presence here. I've shared different times. I don't always have a great awareness of the Lord's presence. I do have a, an awareness of the Lord's presence at all times. And I believe if you practice your relationship with the Lord, you do have an awareness of His presence. But I appreciate those special times when you can especially feel His moving. And we want to cherish that. I was thinking of just a number of weeks ago. I guess it's been nearly a month ago where the Lord stirred our hearts on a Tuesday night along the lines of revival and reviving us, and we need to cherish the Holy Spirit's work. I appreciate Him and all that He does. I'll begin to read at verse number 11, Titus chapter 2, verse number 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no man despise thee. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for your truth and for your work in our hearts. We ask that you would bless these lips of clay, bless this feeble mind as we endeavor to deliver what you've put upon our hearts this morning. 
We ask that you would just manifest forth your truth from your word to us this morning. It is our desire to walk in accordance to your will, to be pleasing in your sight. We ask that you would teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Here, this verse that sticks out to me this morning that maybe I would like to use as a bit of a springboard, a bit of a launch pad to launch into uh, the topic of a heart that's whiter than snow. He says in verse number 14, Who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. And it seems like as we look in the world around us, we find a world that's void of good works. We find a society full of people that is void of good works. And the subject matter this morning isn't about the good works, but I would draw your attention to the fact of the matter that we live in a wicked and a perverse society. We live in a society where it's hard to find missionaries. It's hard to find Christian workers. It's hard to find prayer warriors. You want to ask the question, why don't we have revival? I would like to ask the question to you, why don't we have prayer warriors? Why don't we have people willing to bear the burdens in prayer, willing to lift up souls before the throne room, willing to lift up God before the lost souls? That's really what it means to be an ambassador of Christ. You stand before God in the holy place, the holy of holies, in that secret place of prayer, and you lift up that lost soul. And then you get the unction of the Holy Spirit and you go out before that lost soul and you lift up a holy, holy God in a wicked and a perverse world. There's much to be said about good works. And I want to point out to you that there won't be a zeal for good works in a person's heart unless there is a zeal for God in a person's heart. And you can't have the zeal for God in a person's heart unless God is having complete right away. And God can't have complete right away except a soul would ask God to have complete right away. And that a soul would mean what they say when they ask God to have complete right away. God wants to come in and clean the person up. He wants to not only forgive them of their sins, but He wants to cleanse them from all unrighteousness like 1 John 1.9 says. We see the work of holiness right there. You see, sin is two things. Sin is not only an act, but it is also a nature. It is a nature that manifests forth the acts of sin, the act of rebellion. And that's why we need two works of grace. Sin is twofold. We can get saved and we can get forgiveness of our sins, forgiveness of those wicked deeds that we've uh, acted upon, forgiveness of the iniquity that we've committed, and that can be forgiven. That can be washed away. But something else has to happen down deep in the heart when a person is washed, when they are washed by the blood of the Lamb, blood of the crucified one, as the song says. Washed by Jesus Christ, cleansed thoroughly, where that inbred nature is cleansed out of a person's heart, and they don't want to commit iniquity any longer. They don't want to go back and do those same sinful deeds that once they lived for, once they uh, longed for. But God can change the inward desires of a man, purify his heart, change that bent towards sinning, and give a bent towards obedience, if you will. Amen? Amen. We need to make sure we don't talk about the bent towards sinning any more than what we talk about the bent towards holiness. Amen? Because that is the answer. 
Everyone is aware of the problem. Everyone, to a degree, I guess, is aware of the problem. Everyone is aware of sin. Everyone is aware of a darkened heart. Everyone is aware of a society that desires to carry out evil deeds. But the answer is Jesus Christ. The answer is sanctification, the cleansing of the heart. There is an act of salvation. There is an act of justification, rather. Justification is the first work that God wants to do in a heart. There's not a single person who's been sanctified that hasn't first been justified. That's one of the prerequisites. Do you know what a prerequisite is? And I might be saying that word a little funny because it sounds a little funny. <laughs> a prerequisite is something that has to be in order before something else can happen. Amen? God won't come in and cleanse a person's heart if they haven't first asked Him to do that. And if they mean it with their whole heart. But God can't come in and cleanse a heart that doesn't belong to Him. He can't come in and he can't, He's not going to move in a dirty house any more than you would want to. <laughs> you know what happens when somebody moves and somebody else is going to move in? There should be a thorough cleaning. There's a thorough cleaning that happens. Where everything is cleaned out, they want all of the other person's stuff out of there. Get it out, they say. And that's what Jesus wants to do in a person's heart. He wants to purchase them with his blood. As it says here in this verse number 14, it says, Who gave himself, talking about Jesus Christ, giving himself up there on the cruel cross of Calvary, staggering up that hill of Calvary to take the place of you and I to die in our stead. He gave himself for us. Why? Just to give himself? No, there was a purpose. We need to make sure we don't miss the purpose of Christ's death on Calvary. There's a lot of people who like to admire the death on Calvary. They like to admire what Jesus did and sometimes forget the purpose of which He did it for. Let us not forget the purpose. The purpose was so that He could cleanse us from all iniquity, the passage says. Redeem us from all iniquity. How much iniquity? All of it. Praise the Lord. Not just some of the major problems in a sinful person's life. Not just some of the top sins that they find themselves in the most often. Not just the easy ones that are easy to redeem a person out. But he says all iniquity. All iniquity. And he wants to purify unto himself. He doesn't purify a person unto themselves. He doesn't purify a person unto a wicked world. He purifies a person, a soul unto himself. You can't be brought nigh to God unless you're purified. God is a holy God, as our sister shared this morning. I admire the work of Tozer when he was here on earth, and his work still continues as God led him to write and preach upon the greatness of God. And I believe also, like Tozer, that if God is lifted up to the place where He should be, if He is exalted in our minds to the place where He should be, He'll be exalted in our hearts to the place that He should be. And if He's exalted in our hearts to the place that He should be, He'll be exalted in the rest of our life, in the places that He should be. He'll be exalted in the church, in the places that He should be, in the community, in your family. Your witness will be exalted if God is exalted. God Himself must be lifted up. He says, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men. Amen? There's no greatness in a light bulb. There's no greatness in a light bulb. But it's what's inside that light bulb, and it's if that light bulb's plugged in. Amen? 
I've replaced light bulbs and sometimes I'm surprised that many of them don't last longer. And I look at those light bulbs and I take them out and I say, what happened to you? You were doing so good. What happened to you? What has taken place that you stopped shining? I believe sometimes we could go to a person spiritually and say, what has happened to you, dear friend? That your light is no longer shining. What has gone, what has gone out in your life? Well, one thing that happens sometimes, I've found bulbs come loose from the socket and the power stops flowing through. I found out that sometimes that little light element inside burns out. Sometimes uh, the jostlings of life will fracture the wires on that little element and it disconnects and the light no longer shines. I like these LED bulbs, the new ones that come out. I like them. Some of them tend to be a lot brighter. They consume uh, less electricity. That's nice. We all like that. But even in the jostlings of life, those LEDs are pretty solid. I have one brother, brother, uh, we, or brother, brother Barnes brought this back to me this morning. It's my flashlight. I'm not going to shine it in your eyes like I did the other day. But I like it. It might need a battery. It's been sitting around. But it's pretty bright. And this old light has been a trusty one. It's got an LED bulb in it, and actually it's taken a beating and still shines really nice. I like that. I've had some lights that I had one light, it was brand new, and I took it out of the package, and I dropped it on the floor like that, and I turned it on, and it wouldn't light up. And I thought, well, that was, that was short-lived. <laughs> one little jostle. And man, God wants to get us to the point that it doesn't matter what jostling's in your life that happens, that you'll still be ready to shine for Jesus. The message isn't all about the light, but it's about the Lord and what He can do in the heart. You won't be zealous of good works unless you're a peculiar people. You won't be a peculiar people unless you've been redeemed and bought by the blood of Jesus and purified of your wicked heart. The perverseness of a person's soul would draw them back to the things of the world if they're not cleansed, if they're not made holy. I want us to turn to Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1 I believe verses 18 and 19 would have some truth for us this morning. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. The passage that we looked at in Titus says that Jesus died to forgive and to cleanse us. And He died to have a people. And He died that those people would be eager to serve God and to bring Him glory. If you think anything about salvation... Anything about the great work of God is uh, just primarily focused upon you, then uh, there's a little trace of selfishness down in your heart. Because God has redeemed us that we may bring Him glory. Our job description in life is to bring God glory. And if you're not bringing God glory, if the works and the words of your life are not bringing praise to the Lord in some shape or manner, you're not fulfilling your calling in life. He says he redeemed, he died, he died to redeem us from all iniquity and that we would be a peculiar people unto himself, be brought nigh unto the throne room, that we would be zealous of good works and the, the good works are not to glorify ourselves. Really, biblically, good works should not glorify a person. They should glorify God. The Pharisees and the scribes they wanted to do things that would bring them glory. But God wants us to do things that bring Him glory. 
Amen. Him glory. That he might be lifted up. That he might be glorified. There are a need for good works. And there is a greater need for a holy people. And the answer is pure hearts. Amen. Pure hearts. It says here in Isaiah chapter 1 verses 18 and 19. He says, come now and let us reason together. Saith the Lord. Look who's talking here. Look who's talking. The Lord. The Holy One. Jehovah. Yahweh. The one true living God. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. We're going to stop right there. Notice who's talking here. Notice what he's saying. He's pointing out a couple things I want us to pick up from this passage before we move on to the next passage. He says, come now, let us reason together. There's a lot of people in life that don't have reasoning. At least it seems that way. They don't want to reason. They don't want to take time to reason. I believe that's just the enemy, just the old tactic of the enemy. I would encourage you just to throw a little nugget of truth in here, just a little spiritual plug of truth. I would like to encourage you not to be discouraged from witnessing to a person by the things that the devil would try to put in your face to discourage you from witnessing to a person. And what I mean by that is we could talk about reasoning. We could talk about how many people don't seem like they have time to reason about their spiritual condition. But I would rather point out that the enemy sucks a person in into a fast-paced life full of busy things piling in and barging in on top of them to where they don't feel like they have time to take on another thing don't be discouraged by that you keep trying I shared before about how my mother came to Christ because she was at the right place where the truth was preached she was at church and how did she get to church while she was invited not the first time, not the second time, not the third time, not the fourth time. I don't know how many times it was, but she said her neighbor kept inviting her to church. Would keep knocking on her heart's door, so to speak, and ask her to come to church. Say, would you come to church with me this Sunday? My mom would say, oh no, not, not this Sunday. Maybe, maybe next Sunday. Maybe next Sunday. Maybe next Sunday. And finally, the, the neighbor uh, stopped asking her for a little bit. And my mom kind of got worried and she said, well, I, I really feel the Lord drawing my heart. I'd really like to go to church. I hope she comes back again. I don't know what was going through the mind of that neighbor to my mother. I don't know what the devil was trying to discourage and say. I don't know what the devil would try to discourage and say to you. I know how he works in my mind and how he would like to discourage me from inviting a soul to come to church or invite a soul to call on the Lord. But that neighbor came back and knocked again at my mom's door where she lived. Said, would you come to church? And she said, I believe I will. And she went to church and heard the truth. Repented and confessed her sins to Jesus Christ and asked him to come into her life. And her life has been different ever since. I remember the testimony she gave. She said, she, uh, some years later, she heard one friend uh, told her, she said, I talked to so-and-so about you. I didn't know where you were, if you were still alive or what had happened. And I said, uh, have you heard anything about Joanne? She said, oh, Joanne, she wouldn't know her. She's a totally different person. 
My mom says those are the best compliments she's ever had. Totally different from the old lifestyle, the old ways. Put away those old things. Because something's happened down inside. Reason. Reason. Jesus is just asking that a person would reason with him. To reason, to contemplate the offer. I shared before some thoughts that my dad had shared when we were in Circleville, I believe the last time, said... When you share the truth with a person. And some people will give a response. Let me think about it. Let me think about it. An offer is given. Maybe a door-to-door salesman comes knocking on your door and the offer is given. Maybe the estimate is given and here it is. Here's what we'll do for this cost, this amount of price. Here's what the possibilities are if you would take us up on this offer. And many times the, the response is given. Let me think about it. Let me have time. I need more time to think about it. But when we think of salvation, what's actually going on in a person's mind? Are they really reasoning together? Is there really some sound reasoning happening down in the noggin of a sinner who would say, let me think about this opportunity to be saved, to be sanctified. Let me consider it a little bit longer. Let me, let me take some more time. I'm not quite ready yet. The devil has a way of blinding the eyes of those who don't desire to walk in the truth. Take them down a different pathway that they never thought they would be in. Like the one song says, sin will take you farther than you wanted to go. Keep you longer than you wanted to stay. Cost you more than you wanted to pay. I dare say that there is a soul in hell right now that ever really thought that it would cost them everything. They did not believe the truth. And where are they today? What can we learn from that? The reasoning, the reasoning of a lost soul, the reasoning of an unsanctified heart. When God says, look, this is what I can do. Let's reason together. Let's talk about this. Let's discover the potential spiritually that I can do in your heart. He says, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool, pure, white. Now it's been a little while since we've gotten some snow, but when the snow first falls, everything just looks so clean. Have you noticed that? The old brown grass and the old brown weeds in the garden and just the dirt and the trash in the streets. And the snow falls and you wake up and the sun rises and it just looks so pretty and so clean out there. Just white. And we had some overcast days there for a while and seemed like when the sun did start coming out, of course it was melting off the snow, but it just was so bright. It's just kind of almost hard to see. We were kind of used to those cloudy days when there wasn't a lot of sunlight and then when the sun came out, reflecting off all the light off of the snow and just the brightness of everything it was just so bright kind of hard to see almost kind of hard to behold you know what it's hard for a sinner to really behold everything that god can do it's really is tough for an unsanctified person to look at these passages to consider to reason together in their heart really what god can do in their heart and their soul because i believe when a person really really truly down deep in their heart believes the gospel they really believe that god will do what he says he'll do I think that's the point in time in which they're ready to get saved. That's what I believe. That's what the Bible teaches. Maybe you notice that 
my face, my wife's face is a little bit red today. Our blood pressure isn't up. It's because we spent some time skating yesterday. I had sunglasses on. Maybe I look like a raccoon. Some of it maybe was the wind burn because it was kind of cold out there. But most of it, I think, was just the reflection. Just the brightness. Just the brightness. And I, I looked in the mirror this morning and then I looked at my wife and I said, we're, our faces are kind of red and I think people are going to notice it pretty quick. You ever... You just need to know some things that there's some things that you don't notice that other people will or some other pe- some things that you don't think other people will notice and they will. <laughs> now, don't dwell on that too much. Don't get sidetracked about that too much. My dad said, if you wake up in the morning and everybody's kind of cheerful around you, everyone is kind of happy and jolly. And when you come around, they start chuckling a little bit. He said, you might want to go look in the mirror. Maybe your hair is sticking up in the back. <laughs> Maybe something was a little out of place. I came in the church this morning and my wife I'm so thankful for a godly wife. And I'm so thankful for the grace that you had with me before I had a godly wife. But she takes care of me so well. I came in the church this morning thinking I was all fixed up and ready for church. And she said, honey, your collar is all looking pretty bad in the back. And I said, well, could you help me with that? And she did. It's not still up, is it? <laughs> Don't want to get too far sidetracked, but this reason together. First, he says, come, let us reason together. Here's the potential. Look in verse number 19. I just want us to grab these few words out of there, this phrase. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat of the good of the land. I want us to think about this. I know the context and everything here, and I know there's a lot that we could be shared. And I, I originally wanted to read, uh, start off reading verse number 10. And I feel like there's a whole lot more truth here than what we have time to unpack. Maybe we'll have to just dive into it tonight. But he says in verse 18, come, let us reason together. Something can be done about your sins. Something can be done about the sin problem in your heart. You don't have to try to stop sinning on your own strength. You don't have to stay outside the shower and get yourself cleaned up with a rag so you can get in and get clean. Amen? You get in and get clean. My grandpa said you can't. He said you'd think I was awful foolish, he said, if I went down to the riverbank. And he said if I laid down there and he started flapping my arms and paddling my feet. And he said, what are you doing, John? He said, well, I'm going to swim into the river. He said, you don't do that. You get into the river and then you start swimming. God wants to do something down in a person's heart. I always respect a person when they understand the scriptures that teach we should be free of sin. But that's to help us to understand our need of a heart change. You can't live free of sin in your own strength, dear friend. You can't. You can't. Because sin is a nature And you can't do anything about that nature. Yes, you can try to curb how that nature manifests itself forth in your life. And you could get yourself so trained and so disciplined to the point where nobody else could see any issues in your life. Even the people that live with you, they could not see any issues. They could not see any evidence of any sin. But sin is in the heart and it has to be dealt with. Sin is in the heart and it has to be dealt with by the Holy One. He's the only one. And it's a miracle that only God can do. Amen? He says, if ye be willing and obedient. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. Do you want to be living out your spiritual potential? And it just doesn't stop with spiritual potential. For your spiritual condition affects every other area of your life. 
the condition of your heart, the spiritual choices you make, I believe will lead you to the place that you'll have an occupation and work. I believe it will affect your interactions with your family, with your co-workers. I believe it will affect your, uh, your thought life. I believe it will affect your deeds, what you do for leisure, what you find entertaining, what you find funny, what you find good, what you find bad. All is based upon the condition of the spiritual inside of a man's heart. The innermost man, not the man that you and I would look upon. Not the one that we would behold with our eyes. Not the things that we would hear with our ears. Oh yes, your tree will bear fruit. And many people can come along and inspect that fruit. And many times people uh, will say, well, this, this, there's a good thing in this person's life. There, this, look at this, this is a good thing. And there might be some good things in a person's life. While yet there's a heart inside that needs cleansing. A heart that needs transformed. By the sanctifying power of the blood of Jesus Christ. He says, come now, let us reason together. If ye be willing, if ye be willing and obedient. What a question. What a statement. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat of the good of the land. There's good things that God has for us. There's good potential that God has for us. I want us to turn over to Psalm 51. Psalm chapter 51. I know we're running out of time. I don't know if it brings you any comfort if I look at the clock and I'm aware of the time with you. I hope that comforts you. If you've thought that I've lost track of the time, I haven't. I'm watching the clock too. I'm just teasing. I appreciate your patience. So endeavor to get out what the Lord's put upon my heart this morning. Our hearts can be whiter than snow. The snow around here is starting to get contaminated with the dirtiness of life. And uh, I remember coming across the parking lot with the blade on the tractor. And everything looked white. But when I scraped it up into a pile, things began to look a little dirty. The dust and the dirt of the parking lot and the pavement. And even there was one place I scraped up some trash. There was some trash that came up that I didn't know was there. I thought everything looked fine. But he's talking about the purity of the heart. We find here in Psalm 51, if you've studied much on David's life, you'll know that this is after the prophet Nathaniel had been led to go to him and expose the sin. Just that God was verifying to David that his sin was not hidden, even though he thought it was. And we're not here this morning to talk about the sin or talk about how things happen. And in this case, it's a backslidden heart. David was once in a right relationship with God and he lost that. He backslid. And there are much lessons that we can learn from that. And maybe at another time we'll come back and look at that story. There are things he could have done to help prevent him from getting in that kind of condition. And there always is to a backslider. There could be lots said in this story. We could talk about the sin that was involved. And the, the subject matter this morning is not about the sin that was involved. For you see, an unholy heart will always partake of sin. It will always be involved in sin of one form or another. We find in this story that God did something to wake up David. God gave a wake-up call. The subject matter this morning is not about the wake-up call that God would give. 
or many times a God knocking on a person's heart door to encourage them to get right with Him, speaking to them in one way or another. We have a passage here, and maybe I should just read the whole passage to you. But some key verses stick out to me. Namely, verse number 7. It says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Whiter than snow. He starts off his prayer. This is the prayer of David seeking God. And there's not a person who has ever been cleansed, who has ever been forgiven, who's ever been justified or sanctified, who hasn't talked to the Lord about the problem. We have a lot of it leads up to this verse number 10 where he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Everything projects towards this 10th verse and everything proceeds from this 10th verse throughout the rest of this chapter. He starts off verse number 1. I'll just read it to you. He said, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speak, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shaped in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Talk about that sin nature from the beginning. Verse number 6, Behold, thou desire truth. In the inward parts, and in the in, and in the hidden part, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guilt guiltiness. O God, thou God, of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt despise not. Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifice of sacrifices of righteousness. 
with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altars. His request is to be purged. He says, purge me with hyssop in verse number 7. And I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. He mentions that hyssop as it's a, it's a herb, it's a small plant, if you will, that has a bit of a tassel is the easiest way to explain it at the end of it, where the flowering blossom comes from. And I believe it's like a purplish color. It's a pretty plant. But they would take that, and you could go back and read in the book of Leviticus, namely in the chapter 14, where uh, when one has... Uh, feels like there's something that's unclean about their house. So maybe I should clarify, it's not just a feeling. But when they see something, when they find something that's an impurity in their dwelling place, that there's a process and the priest must go and he must check it out. And then everything is uh, moved out of the area and then it's given a time and a season. And when things are purified to acknowledge, to bring back into uh, a cleanliness, to be declared as clean and as whole, there, the blood is taken with that hyssop. And it's sprinkled on those things. And, it, and it's to signify that those things are clean, that those things are holy. And what he's saying here is that he wants the Lord to come and sprinkle the holy blood of Jesus Christ. That spotless lamb, sprinkle that upon his soul. He, he wants to have that assurance that everything is under the blood of Jesus Christ. He wants to have that assurance that everything is right before God. Let me tell you, dear friend, life is just a vapor. It'll be here today and gone tomorrow. Many people get a deathbed, but most of the people do not. They'll, they'll be gone before they even know what happened. Life is so short. Don't wait to prepare on your deathbed. Don't wait to make restitutions on your deathbed. Don't wait to pay back money that you owe on your deathbed. Don't wait to call on the Lord to get sanctified on your deathbed. For how a tree falls, that's how it's going to lie. The scriptures is clear that how a person dies, that's how they enter out into eternity. Whether they're holy, they'll be in righteousness and glory in heaven in God's presence. If they're wicked and they're unrighteous and their sins that are not covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, they'll make their bed in hell and they'll be judged for it and they'll know why they're there. A place of iniquity, a place of torment. Hell is a real place. It's not just a byword to be used lightly. It's a serious thing. Wash me. Make me whiter than snow. I want my heart to be clean, Lord. It says, create in me a clean heart, O God. Subject matter isn't about the sin involved. It's not about necessarily how David sought it, or what David had to say to get the blessing. And I would give a little word of caution to those that seek holiness, those that seek forgiveness. It's not so much about the words that you use. It's not so much about following another person's pattern that maybe you read in a book, somebody that really truly did get the victory. And I believe there are good testimonies, and I believe those testimonies are good. God commands us to tell forth our testimony of how God worked in our heart and what He can do for other people, but it's not about those things. It's not about what God did to wake up a person's heart or how God knocked on their heart's door. It's about God making the soul pure and holy. Amen? That's what we're talking about. This whole passage revolves around what God can do in the heart. And it's not about the restitutions. And trust me, when a heart is made pure and holy, there will be restitutions that will follow. It's not about the good works that will follow a righteous heart because there will be good works and holy works and things that glorify God. There will be those things that follow a person's life after they've entered into the right relationship with God. It's not about those things. It's about what God paid for. God paid for complete salvation. 
God paid to make our hearts holy, to redeem us from all iniquity. Amen? To make us pure, to make us holy, to make us whiter than snow. It's about what God paid for. It's about what God can do in the soul, what we've been talking about, to be sanctified, to be purged, to be thoroughly, through and through, holy, given over to God. It's about God's plan. It's all about God. Amen? It's not about what your life was. Your testimony shouldn't revolve about what you were doing before God came to you. The subject of your testimony is not about where you found yourself when God knocked on your heart's door. The, the subject of your testimony is not about what you had to do to let God have His way in your heart. It's not necessarily about your contrite heart. It's not about your works. It's not about how you sought after God or if you had to fast and pray. It's not about that. Salvation is not about that. Salvation is about what God can do in the heart when one really means it and asks Him to come in and have complete right away. Amen. It's not about the good works that follow. Should those things be talked about in testimony? Absolutely. Absolutely. It brings God glory. Should, should a person's past be mentioned briefly without you know, going into serious details about where a person was before God found them? Absolutely. It brings God glory. But understand that salvation is to bring God glory and testimonies of salvation are to bring God glory. The purifying of one's heart is to bring God's glory, bring God glory. And when God comes into the heart and makes one pure, it's about God. It's not about you, dear friend. You're important to God. But it's about what God can do in your heart, what God can do in your life, what God's plan is. It's all about God. Amen. And if you don't have interest in making your life all about God and not about you, God has more work that he wants to do in your heart. You got to get that selfishness rooted out. It's not about you. It's not about the things that you can do. It's not about the things that you would have to offer God. Yes, God wants you to work in His kingdom. God wants you to do great things for Him. But it's not about that. You need to understand that if you were immobilized like our sister Sharon, even if you were to the point physically where you couldn't even think and pray like she's able to do, you could bring God much glory in your life. But it's all about God. It's not about your potential. It's about God. And He wants to purify our hearts, cleanse us. He has a plan. He has a purpose. And He's provided everything that we might enter into that plan and stay in His will, walking in accordance to His will. Let's stand this morning. You've been very patient. I appreciate your patience. I want us to, to stand here with our eyes closed while the altar is open. And I want to give an invitation. For anyone that needs to pray. If there's anything in a person's heart, anything in your heart that you know about, that you're not completely comfortable with. If there's anything in your life that when you have the thought of standing before God on Judgment Day, if there's anything in your life that makes you uncomfortable while you're entertaining the thought of standing before a holy, just God, come down here to the altar and get it taken care of. Does anything give you reservations about standing before His throne? Is there anything that dulls the excitement that we should have as Christians to be able to see Jesus face to face? Is there anything that would try to convince you to backpedal when God puts light upon your heart? When God gives you instructions? 
when you see light and you recognize it as light, God ministers it to your heart, is there anything that puts up a little bit of a fight, puts up a little bit of a resistance or a hesitancy? Get that taken care of right here and right now. Don't wait. Don't wait. You can have the assurance. You can have the approval of God upon your life. You have the approval of God on your life. You won't have to have your own approval on your life. You won't have to have your family member's approval. You won't have to have your co-worker's approval, the approval of a church somewhere. You won't have to have the approval of the world. Live for the approval of God. As David says, he wants to be pure and holy. He wants to be acknowledged as clean. That passage in Leviticus chapter 14 is talking about leprosy. I don't remember if I preached it here, but one time I preached a message on sin is the leprosy of the soul. It was something that was pretty serious back then. There was no man-made cure for leprosy. There's no man-made cure for sin. When it spotted something, it was very serious. They took it very seriously. They wanted to get it taken care of right away. Try to isolate it from anything else. To contaminate other things. But it's something that only God could heal. Is sin a big deal to you? Is rebellion a big deal to you? Is disobedience to God's commandments a big deal to you? Does sin still grieve you? Is sin still grieving to you? When you see it in the world? When you see it in your community? When you see it maybe in your family? Does sin still bother you? Anyone need to pray this morning? We're not going to tarry much longer. Come, let us reason together. All those who are willing, all those who ask. So there's a part of being justified that only God can do, and there's a part of being justified that only you can do. It's you and the Lord. You have to ask Him to forgive you. You have to confess your sins. You have to be repentive in your heart. Jesus will justify you. You have to trust in His blood as atonement for your sins. And being sanctified is the same way. Once you've been justified, once you've been forgiven, you have to ask God to cleanse your heart. You have to ask God to take that nature away. There's not a soul that's ever been sanctified who hasn't asked God to do it. You have to consecrate yourself. Show yourself a living sacrifice. Put your all on the altar like they used to say means you have to build an altar before the Lord and you climb up there on the altar and you stay there until the fire falls. You don't get impatient and get off the altar. You don't get sidetracked with the things of life and get off the altar and say, we'll come back later and sacrifice again. You stay there until the fire falls. Consecrate your life to Him. We're going to close in prayer. We thank You, dear Lord, for Your Word. We thank You for Your truth. We thank you for your offer to make one holy and pure and righteous. It's not our own good works. We have nothing to brag about, just brag about you. We praise you and glorify you. We're thankful for all that you've done, the price that you paid, all that you've provided. Thank you for your word, for explaining it to us. And 
Thank you for those of us that you've done it in our hearts. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to minister to us. Continue to press this truth upon our hearts. Remind us, Lord, that we have the message, the answer that the world is looking for. Be with us as we go about our ways. May your presence and your spirit go with us. In Jesus' name we pray and to your glory. Everyone said, Amen. You're dismissed.